Hey, this is former Blue Devil alignment Matt Skura. You're listening to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. Go Duke, go ACC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He's Mike McDaniel. Mike, team recaps roll on. Who we got? Connor O'Neill, Deacons Illustrated. What's up, buddy? I'm doing well. Um, I thought we were coming on here to actually talk basketball, but that was my mistake. I forgot the gist of what you guys do and the, the name. <laughs> the name threw me off. I'm sitting here watching the basketball game, though, uh, as we record. Good. There you go. In the, in the spirit. You are uh, far from the only person who gets very confused what this podcast is about sometimes. So uh, n- no shame in that, Connor. <laughs> no shame in your game. Uh, we, we want to talk about Wake Forest because this was a little bit of a, uh, well, step back's an understatement because this was very uncharacteristic of Dave Kloss and coach teams going four and eight, really never getting quarterback right. I guess we'll start there. What to make of all the quarterback shuffling, right? We came into the year on the preview, Connor. We talked with you. It was going to be Mitch Griffiths as the starter. It was for a good bit of the year. Then there was Michael Kern. Then there was the one game, really, of Santino Marucci. Then it was basically quarterback shuffling the rest of the way. Um, we were it, making jokes the second half of the sh- of the season that it was like they were like drawing straws in the locker room before the game to see who was going to start. Like there was no rhyme or reason. It seemed like so uncharacteristic. Yeah. So some of that came because um, it was the Virginia Tech game. Uh, right at, I think it was the sixth game of the year. And Mitch Griffiths had had a okay-ish start at Clemson. Like, they lost that game 17-12. He only scored 12 points, but it's against Clemson. He did some good things to move the offense. Uh, And he came out and was really ineffective and looked gun-shy against Virginia Tech. They put a ton of pressure on him. He threw an early interception um, and got benched. And Michael Kern came in and moved the ball a little bit. I think did not – I know they didn't score a touchdown with Kern in there. I think they kicked two field goals. I know the touchdown in that game came on a kickoff return. But um, the offense moved at least a little bit. It, it showed some life with Michael Kern. He got the ball out. And then he got hurt. Like he, he – had a shoulder injury late in the game uh, when it was kind of decided and that took him out for like a month. So Dave Clawson wanted like, that was the quarterback change. Like Michael Kern, if he doesn't get hurt, he's the starter coming out of that game. And so that's where the shuffle had to occur. And and he was unavailable until the last few weeks of the season. Um, Santino Marucci starts the next game against Pitt and they win the game. Uh, he throws an interception in the last two minutes that lose uh, probably about 9,999 games out of 10,000. And that happened to be the 10,000th game when Pitt did about five things in a minute span that are all designed to lose you a game. So, you know, credit to credit to Santino and Wake for winning that game. Uh, if not for that game, they're winless in the ACC. So... And then they went back to Mitch Griffiths on the other end of a off week, I think it was. Or um, no, their off week was earlier than that. 
they went back to Mitch Griffiths, um, didn't play well at Florida State. And then really the the most telling game of Wake season was that first game, the Thursday night game against Duke at Duke. Um, that was Mitch Griffiths' best game of the year. Uh, I think he was something like 16 for 19, maybe completed his first like 13 or 14 passes, was really effective. They had a lead. Um, Duke was slow playing it because Duke was playing their third string quarterback. And Mitch Griffiths still commits two fourth quarter turnovers. They give up 10 points off those turn. I don't think it was 10 points directly off the turnovers, but it, two costly fourth quarter turnovers and they lose the game still. So really like they played three more games. Uh, they were in the Syracuse game with, if they win that Syracuse game, they're a five and seven team that makes a bowl because they had a better APR and Syracuse would have been five and seven, but it's just a matter of uh, when when you boil it down and say our quarterback's best game was still a game that he turned the ball over twice in the fourth quarter and we lost to a third string quarterback. That that's not a ringing endorsement in any way, shape, or form. Is there anything that you would point to that got Wake Forest quarterback room to this point? I guess that really the question here being that thinking back to the, for a number of years under this staff and this program, this has not been a problem. There hasn't really been a, I guess maybe at one point as a freshman, Sam Hartman maybe was replaced by Jamie Newman, but like, yeah, this that was quarterback uncertainty. Though. Yeah. This quarterback uncertainty has not been like a staple of this program at all. And in fact, quite the opposite. It's been a, a run of very good quarterbacks under Dan rock Foster. solid. Yeah, no, it, it was, you know, you're you're never going to keep cycling great quarterback after great quarterback. Um, going from John Wolford to Sam Hartman slash Jamie Newman in that two-year window, and then Sam Hartman for three straight years, you know, that, that string is going to end at some point. Uh, the shock factor was just that Mitch carried himself so well as a starting quarterback. He practiced really well, like, you know, we, we get to go to practices at Wake and fall camp. And in fall camp, if you had told me Mitch Griffiths was going to have the type of season that he had, I would have thought he played through injuries. I would have thought he lost all of his receivers around him. Like, I just, it would have been so hard to believe because everything that we had seen to that point, you know, he, he started the game the previous year. It was against VMI. It was an FCS team. But in his previous previous experience like he played well in spots even his first college game he took wakes backup offense down the field and scored a touchdown against clemson uh in the 2020 season opener so there was just there were all these signs that pointed toward him being the next guy the next one in line uh they were confident in the fact that for the first time really it was a quarterback who had been in the system to learn behind quarterbacks. Like they started John Wolford as a freshman. They started Sam Hartman as a freshman. Jamie Newman was kind of the, ex the, the exception to it. His first start came about what nine games into his or 10 games into his red shirt sophomore season. But he was such a project that he was, he was extremely inexperienced at the quarterback position. Um, and then you turn the reins back over to Sam Hartman. So like the, the confidence factor was was there with Mitch, and I, I think in a way that almost worked against Wake Forest. Uh, his his timing, his clock was off 
because of how many times he had gone through a practice and not been hit. Like that was a huge talking point throughout the year was when the quarterback doesn't go live for so long and then you put him out there in live game situations, it's going to take him a little bit to adjust and and speed his clock up. And they, they just never seem to be able to get the clock right. Um, and it, it's, it's not all on the quarterback. Like Wake did not get good offensive line play this year. Their receiver play, I thought, was very disappointing. And if it wasn't for the quarterback play, then we'd be talking about the the receiver room as the most disappointing part of this team based on how strong it had been in years past. So I, I about somewhere in there in October, I started saying this offense was just a systematic failure. Like it was just one problem spot after another. It was never the same thing game to game. And uh, it, it really... They were able to win the first three games with a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, you know, beating Vanderbilt is never going to be a feather in anybody's cap. Um, they should have lost the Old Dominion game. They had to come back from down three scores or two scores, whatever that was. But but really, offense kind of failed Wake Forest this year, and, and it's has a lot to do with quarterback. Like, we got a lot of quotes from Dave Clawson all year about how you have to get the quarterback position right. And until you get that right, you can't really concern yourself with anywhere else on the offense. But it was across the board a pretty bad season for Wake's offense. No significant coaching staff changes. Seems like, you know, Clawson. I think it's a pretty good indicator of what you just said, right? Where it's like, if you don't get quarterback right, like it's going to be a tough go. I think not making any sort of staff changes after the worst year Clawson's had, right? I, he hasn't had a season worse than four and eight since he got in Wake, has he? Or has he? Yeah, the first two were three and nine, but that, you know, it was his first two years. Um, there was a lot of work that needed to be put into those teams. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so this is the worst season in like six years, seven years. Yeah. Been to bowl um, games seven straight years. Been to bowl games seven, yeah. So. You know, feels good about the coaching staff running it back with, you know, who he's had. How is it looking in terms of like fan base viewing the year coming out of it for an eight? Are they just thinking, all right, this is a quarterback issue, get quarterback right? They're bringing Hank Bachmeyer for his sixth year of college football. That should be, we were talking about before we hit record, that should be an upgrade, right? Like, the four years at Boise, he was pretty decent at Louisiana Tech last year, completed a you know career high, like 68% of his passes almost. Should be an upgrade there. It, it, is it viewed in the fan base as really just like, okay, off year with the quarterback, if they get that right, they'll kind of be back to being like that 7-8 win range at minimum? I think for the most part, um, you'll always find some people out there that, you know, 4-8, and eight, um They'll, they'll bring up Clawson's overall ACC record, which I don't know off the top of my head, but it's not good. Um, they've only had one winning conference record in 10 years under him. and But that was a trip to Charlotte to play for an ACC championship. And they've had a few four and fours in there. Um, the thing you've got to remember with offensive staff continuity is all of almost all of those guys have been at Wake now for 10 years. Like, if I go down the top of my head, like running back, uh, running back O-line and um, offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks, those guys all came 
to wake when Dave Clawson came to wake. So you're you're basically banking on the fact that you have good coaches. Um, they just had a down year. Uh, and that goes to the, the across the board part of it. Um, yeah, and, and to speak to the – like the Wake fans are realistic. We're not – you're not talking about Florida State fans that want to fire everybody after one loss. You're not talking about that kind of reaction, the knee-jerk type uh, reactions like that. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens if they fail to make a bowl next year. Like that's, that's where you kind of go. Um, you, at the same time that you point out, John Curry is not the AD that hired Dave Clawson to Wake Forest. You also point out that those two seem to have a great working relationship. I think if, if my math is correct or my memory is correct, I think Curry has already extended Clawson twice since he took the job in 2019. Um, one of those one of those extensions might have been like a last week of the Ron Wellman tenure going into John Curry's tenure, um, but he's given him at least one extension that was signed before Wake played the game at BC to clinch the berth in the ACC championship. So it's. Like Dave Clawson's going to be awake. I think Dave Clawson can survive another four and eight year. Um, it'll just it'll get interesting if it comes down to that. But there's there's a lot of development. Um, I think last year kind of showed more than anything that Wake is going to have to remain a developmental program. Like you're going to have to still build guys through four and five year recruiting, um, and and that's where the backbone of your team has to be. Um, navigating that in in the current climate i don't know if that works or not um that's that's kind of what we're gonna find out i'm glad you bring up the fact that dave's job is really pretty secure because you've come on here long enough with us our listeners who have been with us long enough know that these are the types of episodes we like to ask about job security and i just i feel like at this point asking about it with dave clausen would be insulting to you connor it would be insulting to the listeners like it's he's not he's not in any sort of hot seat it's all fine don't worry about it yeah, I mean, you, you might you might see him wind up on some of those uh, clickbait lists going into next year, just because somebody will look down there and say, "All right, who had the worst year in the ACC?" And you know, Wake had the worst year in the ACC last year, so somebody is bound to think that, "Oh, well, the team that had a bad season has definitely got a coach on the hot seat." Well, that's, yeah, I mean, I, I I would not be, I don't know, I'd have a heart attack. <laughs> but but I'm saying like I, I think he's pretty secure even if things don't go well next year. Yep. One of the things you mentioned a little bit ago, Connor, as you were talking about the quarterbacks, was that if not for the quarterbacks, then clearly the wide receivers are the most disappointing group, at least on the offense, if not maybe on the entire team. One of the things that happened and it as the way that these things go with on-demand audio as we recorded our season preview with you back in August and it was less than a week later that we found out Donovan Green the top leading receiver coming back to the team he was going to miss the whole year with an ACL tear Um, in your mind and your perspective was was the loss of Donovan Green the main culprit of that room disappointing or was it even bigger than that was there still potential without him that really wasn't met in your mind one quick correction is wasn't an ACL tear um, he had an ACL tear that cost him the season two years ago, but this one was, I don't even think we got the, 
exact diagnosis, but it was like a four to six, four to six month recovery process, I think is what they said. Hmm. And that left it open-ended in case he wanted to pursue the NFL, he'd be able to be working out right now and like going through senior bowl stuff, but he's coming back for a sixth season in college. But um, to speak to your actual question, <clears throat> um, I'm guilty of kind of downplaying the impact of his injury when it happened. And when it was announced, I, I kind of took the line of saying uh, it was good. If anything, that the timing was as early as it was in fall camp, because it gave Wake the almost full fall camp to work in the guys that you'd need to step up in his absence. Whereas like, if you lose him the week of the opener, then you're, you're that much more pressed to figure out who's going to be in those spot in that spot where it really hurt is the way I looked at wakes receivers this year is you had Jamal Banks was a proven commodity. He's a big guy, but Jamal is not running past anybody to get open. He is a jump ball guy that you're throwing the ball to, and he's turning 50, 50 balls into 90, 10 balls. And then you had two short, quick guys that, weren't exactly the jump ball types with Taylor Morin and Keyshawn Williams, but you can get them open in space. They can run past people. They didn't have a guy to do both of those things. Like A.T. Perry could do both of those things. Um, basically, Donovan was, was the guy to do both of those things last year also with A.T. And missing Donovan really, really hamstrung what wake got out of their receivers um it's it's also it's it's kind of i say funny it's not funny because of the production and because this is a serious thing but it is kind of ironic um dating back to after the 2017 season i've been writing and alluding to wake has these really good slot receivers but they insist on only playing one at a time like the 2017 season was Greg Dorch and Tabari Hines and Greg, like Greg had a great first half of the year and then uh, punctures a hole in his small intestine and misses the last five games. And Tabari Hines comes in and played great. And so going into spring ball, I was writing about how Greg Dorch and Tabari Hines, you got both of these guys coming back. You got to figure out a way to get them both on the field to maximize their impact. And then Tabari Hines transferred a week before spring practice started. And I've just been kind of, it's it's like a dog chasing cars with me and, and writing about using both slot receivers at the same time. Like they had Kendall Hinton and Jaquari Roberson, uh, Taylor Morin and Jaquari Roberson. It's just, it's this repeating cycle. Well, they started Taylor Morin on the outside this year and they started Keyshawn Williams in the slot. And they played a lot of snaps together. Now, Taylor was playing an outside receiver position, but it was basically having two slots on the field at the same time. And the offense was terrible. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, I'm sure this was not anywhere close to entering Warren Ruggiero's mind, but it was like, hey, Connor, all the, all the shit you've talked about us playing two slot receivers at the same time, you're an idiot. Stop doing that because this is what it looks like. So I, I'm, I'm not on that train anymore. Like that, that's, uh, I've, I've gotten off. Killed the narrative. Killed the narrative. You've been pushing for seven years, six years, hey, I guess. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm, I'm smart enough to take the evidence and, and take the, take what I know and what I've seen and apply it and say, well, maybe you were wrong about this one. So yeah, I, I think this, they really need to develop some outside receiver and uh, going into next year, like it's Donovan green. And then, and you got to figure out if you got Walker Merrill, you got to figure out Horatio fields. Um, they lost Wesley Grimes. You got to figure out if you have a freshman coming in that can make an impact out there. Um, they did get Taylor Morin back. He'll be good in the slot. Uh, they have another slot coming behind them. I'm not going to say that they should play both of them at the same time, but Deuce Alexander will be really good uh, if, if the last few games are any indication. But but yeah, they they need to get more out of the receiver position. That's that's for sure. How much of the uh, the issues that Wake Forest is having on offense? I guess just this past season, right? Because historically they've been pretty good. But how how much of the blame can you put on the current state of college football, the transfer portal? Like this year it was really just quarterback, right? But like projecting forward, if we see another year where Wake Forest misses a bowl game and there are still issues at quarterback and there are issues in the receiving room, right? Where like outside of Green and Moore and like they don't get much and maybe Bach Meyer is not as good as, you know, we think he can be in the system. Like is Wake Forest really going to turn into one of these feeder programs? I mean, you, you talked about how it's going to be like a four or five year developmental program. That's what they have to be. And I totally agree with that. But I think a lot of those four and five year developmental programs right now are being treated, at least in the current, system the way things are they're kind of being treated as like the minor league farm system feeder system type deal unfortunately with how the state of college football is right now yeah and that's where like wake was late to the game in nil and collective development uh they had like they had a couple failed uh on the runway type nil starts and so They've finally kind of gotten off the ground. Uh, they're they're real collective with the backing of all these major donors at Wake is, is finally seemingly um, putting together enough money to keep players like, and that's that's where I go to like the feeder programs don't have to be feeder programs if they can get enough money to keep players, and they don't have to match the or exceed the offers that they're getting from the big boy schools they just have to get it to a point where it's not worth them leaving to go make x number of dollars and so i i I think i don't i don't i think it's overstated the the feeder program you know you're you're either have or have not in college football like i i Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I maybe 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 I'm dumb. But I, no, I I mean it, it could. I I think there's a there's a good chance of swaying like too far the other direction where it's like kind of too extreme where it's like you're either a blue blood or you're just getting your players plucked from you. Like I don't yeah. think it needs to be that. It might not be that extreme, right? You're the Wake Forest, you're Miss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. Hopefully, hopefully you brought that up because they play Ole Miss this year. Oh, uh, in in Winston, yeah, they have a home and home that was probably scheduled ten years ago before, like probably when Lane Kiffin was at USC. Um, but yeah, 
home and home starts in Winston with Ole Miss this year. But yeah, I just I I guess I'm holding out hope against hope that the feeder programs can still have seasons where they break through and then follow up those seasons with an off season where they don't lose everybody because all the eyes have been on them and every the secrets out about how many good players they have and they're all getting plucked by everybody else. But I think as long as Wake has the admissions and academic requirements that they do it and and the smallest alumni base like they they are the smallest power conference team uh, or school like it's it's going to be hard to compete on a regular basis with those types of teams but but it doesn't mean you're never going to compete on that level and we've we've talked about that quite a bit on this podcast about how especially i think with the transfer portal in particular the acc has a number of schools that do not benefit from this in terms of it is a lot easier to transfer out than it is to transfer in and, and it's just it's one of those things that slowly over time is going to have a a negative effect on wake forest among plenty of other programs my alma mater georgia tech kind of the same way like yeah. dealing with that issue and and it's it's going to I, I think sap some of these programs over over the long term and it's you know maybe it, some of these schools clearly are like i remember the, the stories about colorado when when dion got there this fall uh was well they they don't take transfers well all of a sudden it's like well no, no we're gonna we're gonna loosen our transfer uh requirements just to try to you know help boost the football program so at that point you're you're making decisions as an institution of how much you value sports and, and what you are willing to do to help boost up your football program as opposed to, you know, restrict it and kind of um, uh, what's the, there's a word I'm looking for here, but basically kind of like, you know, safeguarded or, or uh, you know, clutch of pearls maybe to some degree, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. yeah it, and the one thing you have to kind of remind yourself, it, it applies to Georgia tech a little bit and it applies to wake forest a lot. The, admissions requirements always get easier for the next coach it's mm-hmm. for for the coach who's there it's always it it becomes an uphill fight it becomes a tooth and nail fight it's it's really hard for a coach who and it runs counterintuitive to everything you would think but that that side of it gets a lot easier when you bring in a new coach and there's new energy and there's new life and there's a new guy saying Hey, I just came from, I'll pull a school out of the top of my hat. I just came from Texas A&M and this is what we have to do to get better at football and win football games on the level that you want to win football games. That guy is going to be able to be more convincing for whatever reason and more persuasive than a guy who's been at the school for 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's always, personally, it's, it's just always the way it works personally saw that under Paul Johnson where, you know, mid, mid 2010s, he's, you know, trying to do something, trying to do something. And all of a sudden it's like, well, no, no, like we had these restrictions when you were winning games back in 2008, 2009, why can't you win now? You know, it's like, it's one of those things, like you're saying, you're kind of a little bit damned by early success or or whatever. It's like, no, 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 you, you did just fine without this, but new guys. Yeah, you're correct. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Connor, and just before we start talking a little bit about next season, it's it's become a little bit of a theme, I think, in recent years with Wake. Uh, defensively, it, it has not been a, a particular strong suit. 
is there any sort of expectation there that you that you have or had in mind that they didn't meet this year or is this just kind of what wakes defense is at this stage maybe under dave clausen or otherwise no i think the final numbers don't do wakes defense justice because they played at a pretty high level for most of the year they just wore down at the end of the season um Oh, I mean, when they were when they were competitive, when they were losing game, like thirty to thirteen at Virginia Tech, uh, felt like a bad loss at the time. It, it didn't when Virginia Tech kept reeling off ACC wins and was in contention to make it to Charlotte until the last what week or two of the season. I, I appreciate you saying that, Connor. I appreciate they, that throwing that they, in there for me. They they found uh, their Jamie Newman is the way I would put it. Like Tyron Jones is is the, the dude. Um. But no, like they held Clemson to 17 points. Um, the defense played really well against Georgia Tech. I think there was a pick six in there and uh, five turnovers, I believe it was, a bunch of short fields, one on special teams. Like part of part of what we wrote before the season got completely off the rails was the most bitter pill to swallow about Wake's season was if you took this year's defensive performance and – put it with any of the previous like five or six years and the offensive production, you've got a team that wins 10 games and is either in Charlotte or just missed going to Charlotte. And they did that one year with a pretty shoddy defense. It was inconsistent in 2021. And that was kind of the best thing you could say about Wake's defense over that seven year stretch, but they got really good defensive play this year. Uh, like I said, they just wore down at the end of the year and put up some numbers that hurt the averages. But I think if if they can repeat that and offensive improvements come with different play at quarterback, I think they'll be fine. Well, looking ahead to 2024, we've referenced Bachmeyer coming in. Griffiths out. Santino Marucci, unfortunately for Joey and I, because we can't make as many jokes. He's out. So is it Bachmeyer's job or is he going to have to fight for it a little bit? No, he's, it's going to be a legitimate open competition. And, you know, maybe, maybe Dave Clawson's honesty about that at the end of the season cost him chances at other quarterbacks, but he's pretty honest and open about, making it an open competition. Like he wanted to see uh, if Michael Kern chose to come back, would Michael Kern win a starting job? He's, this is going to be his sixth year at Wake Forest. And I've, I've said, nobody likes Wake Forest more than Michael Kern. No, no, no student there, no professor there, no coach there. Nobody loves Wake Forest more than that kid. Cause I mean, he he was backing up Sam Hartman when Sam Hartman was backing up Jamie Newman in 2019. Like that's that's how long Michael Kern has been at Wake Forest. If if he didn't like Wake Forest, he would have transferred out of there a long time ago to find somewhere to start. Uh, so he'll get a shot to to earn the job. And then they're bringing in a freshman from Georgia named Jeremy Hecklinski, who was either the Georgia Player of the Year or one of the Georgia Players of the Year. Um, I always got a kick out of seeing him either included on a list with Dylan Raiola in that state. And I think there were a couple other like five star. Everybody know this, knows this kid's name and knows he's going to be a star uh, at the high school quarterback level in Georgia. And 
he'd either be like the third quarterback included on the first team or he'd be on the first team and they'd be on the second team. Like he had a great season at the high for, for a team that played in the highest classification in Georgia. Um, I don't put too much stock into high school numbers because high school numbers are, are, are high school numbers. There's no bigger jump going from high school football to college football. But he did play in the highest classification of Georgia public schools, and I think he had about 50 touchdowns and maybe like four interceptions or six interceptions. It was something ridiculous. Um, Better than Santino Marucci. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if I saw Santino throw 50 touchdowns in weight practices. But um, no, like – we're we're very much looking at the possibility of, you know, John Wolford freshman starter, Sam Hartman freshman starter, all the way down the line to Jeremy Heklinski could win this job. Um, granted, he's got to take college snap. Like it's it's kind of silly to say this about a freshman who's going to be he's a year older than than most freshmen. He'll be twenty when their season starts but he's going to be in a competition with two guys who are going into their sixth year on college football rosters. Um, then they've got a holdover. Charlie Gilliam is kind of the dark horse in the race. He was on the team last year and redshirted and didn't take a snap. So I think he would get at least kind of a fair shot at the, at the job in uh, spring and fall camp. Like it's kind of a weird, uh, weird transition back to like I covered uh, 2018 and 2019 were both quarterback battles between Hartman and Newman. And I always thought it was weird that like Dave Clawson transitioned out of having quarterbacks battle because he even had John Wolford and Kendall Hinton going up against each other for three years to be the starter going into those years. So uh, going to three years of Sam Hartman is our guy to last year, Mitch Griffiths was the guy. I thought it was a little out of character for Dave to just give Mitch the job. Um, and now I think this is kind of Dave going back to what he knows and uh, placing some value on competition at that position. And and that's what he wants to see shake out over the next, what is it going to be, seven months, seven and a half months about. I look at the schedule for next year, Connor, and I see the uh, the road trip to Stanford. Wake is going to. I'm not going there. (laughs) You sure? You don't want to go Palo Alto? Yeah, no. I'm I'm only driving uh, for basketball and and football and yeah my my uh, pay your own way um, procedure has become if you can drive it you can try to make it if you're if it requires a flight then probably not unless it's the like final four or uh hell i even drove to omaha last year so that was about oh, i remember that yeah it was 17 or 18 hours so if i can make that drive then i can probably drive to a lot of places <laughs> but i'm not going i'm not driving out to palo alto okay well figured <laughs> i'd ask on, figured i'd I check i leave on <laughs> fucking monday <laughs> yeah driving all week yeah. no as much as I'd love to miss all the all the midweek pressers and all the coach speak that comes in those things, uh, no, I will not be taking a full week to drive out to California to cover a football game. Do you expect any amount of like 
excitement, anticipation from Wake fans, at least at the chance to do something new, do something different? Or do you think that the attitude is more so just like, this is unnecessary, what's the point of this? I mean, we'll see what happens when they get there. Uh, it's one of those where I think if you ask them now, it's more the latter. But I think if you ask them the week of the game, I think you might get some of the former. Like, you know, okay, this is cool. We're playing a team that we haven't played for an ACC game before. Like, there's there's bound to be a little bit of excitement with something new. Um, I don't know if it'll stick, but it'll it'll at least be fun to talk about. I can't imagine there are too many Wake fans that are going to make the trip, at least from North Carolina out there. Um, Wake being a, a diverse school and where they get their students, I'm sure there are some Wake graduates living out in California that are like, hey, look, it's it's a Wake Forest football game that we don't have to fly 3,000 miles across the country to see. So yeah, there will be a little bit of excitement there. I wonder what the chances are that that's the most sparsely, I'm going to put this nicely, the most sparsely attended ACC game next season, Wake Forest and Stanford in Palo Alto. Yeah, I don't, I mean, which one of those is supposed to be better next year, Stanford or Cal? <sighs> Probably Cal. The fact that Joey and I even have to do season previews for Stanford and Cal, and SMU for that matter. Just bl- yeah. I mean, SMU at least, you know, they like to... I'd like to spend a little bit of money to play some football. So I'm a little bit excited about the SMU edition, but Cal and Stanford. SMU. I mean, no, you, you can certainly in Houston, yes. <laughs> but the Cal and Stanford editions, Joey and I are like just trying to wrap our head around that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm just sitting here praying that they're not uh, 10 p.m. starts that I have to stay up until one <laughs> thirty in the morning to watch. Hell yeah. Best kind of drug. The yeah, uh, post-game all- Zoom press conference at... 2 a.m. Oh. Eastern or whatever. It's, with that. it's so, gonna hit different. I'll be I'll be hitting publish within 15 minutes of the end of that game, and I'll be in bed. <laughs> Look out for uh, whole whole Les will take care of those quotes. Yeah, that's fine. Those I, yeah. you know. Les has got it covered. I, 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 that's fine. You can have them. <laughs> Works for the school anyway. <sighs> Mike, that's all I got for Connor. What, I, I guess my last question, what are what are expectations looking like, at least based on, I mean, we're sitting here in Janu- like middle of January, right? We'll have the conversation in the preseason like we always do, but middle of January with how the roster is looking right this second, I mean, expectations, I mean, have to be higher than four and eight, I would assume, heading into next year with the roster is returning. Donovan Green coming back, Taylor Marin, assuming an upgrade in quarterback, defense being about the same. Yeah, yeah, I, I think at this point, your baseline is just make it back to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't even know that you're talking about. You know, it has to be a, um, what are they called? Tier one or tier? Like, I don't even know if you're talking about tiers for bowl games. Just make it back into the postseason. Um, God, it's like sixty-five percent of FBS makes the postseason. So, you know, get back into that range. Um, see how things shake out. Connor, appreciate it. My pleasure. Always fun having you on, Connor. Really appreciate your time. You want to tell the people real quick where they can find your stuff? Yeah, it's Deacons Illustrated. Is The website is wakeforest.rivals.com. Um, got a lot of good stuff there. and Hope people come check us out for football and basketball stuff.
and a little baseball. Getting getting to that time of year, they are. Oh, you got season previews cranked out. Like preseason number one team. Uh, yeah, they're gonna be good. Go get it. Wakeforest.rivals.com. Connor O'Neill, Deacons Illustrated on the Rivals Network. Connor, always a pleasure. Really, really appreciate your time. Uh, we'll talk again soon. How's that work? Thanks, boys. Sounds good. Yes, sir. Mike, let's get out of here. You want to go uh, recap some more teams? Yes, sir. All right. iTunes, Spotify, all those good places. Go hit that subscribe button. Uh, we're on anywhere you go find your podcasts. Send us an email, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Uh, thank you. Find yes, us sir. on YouTube, youtube.com slash at the ACC football podcast. Uh, once again, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell icon, uh, hit the like button. If you're watching this on YouTube, we really appreciate that. Uh, Mike, where else on the social medias? Facebook.com slash basketball conference. Uh, check us out there. Instagram at BC podcast ACC as well. You mentioned YouTube. Go check us out all those places. Uh, and as usual, on Twitter, at FGRS Joey, at Mike McDaniel SI, at BC Podcast ACC, and at Connor O'Neill underscore DI. Uh, go find him on Twitter as well. Uh, Mike, it's been fun. You want to come back, recap some more teams? Let's do it. All right. Until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, for Mr. Connor O'Neill, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again very, very soon. Until then, go Deeks and go ACC. Go Deeks.